You are listening to the Pursuit Church Essay Podcast. We are a group of imperfect, real people on a mission to pursue God and love people. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Hey, welcome. Welcome. Friends, relatives, someone that drug you here today, someone that wants to be here today. No, I'm going to tell you what, this is, a, this is a good day. This is the best day. This is the best day. You know, Easter Sunday is the most important day ever, and yet we see it downplayed a lot, don't we? It's kind of, you know, uh, heck, they're starting uh, Christmas before Halloween, right? Uh, You know, Easter just sometimes kind of gets lost. It's kind of that transition between Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. It just kind of gets in there, yet Easter Sunday is the most important day ever, ever, ever. So let me tell you, you picked a good day to be in church today. <laughs> you picked a good day to show up in the house of God. And here's some really good news. I got some really good news for you. I got a lot of good news today. But let me, let me tell you some good news. The foundation of the Christian faith is not dependent upon Christians. I actually have some really good news for you. You know why? Because we're jacked up. Come on. The foundation of Christianity is not dependent upon Christians. Thank you, God. <laughs> The foundation of our faith is what we celebrate here today at Easter. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of our faith. And you see, there are millions of people around the world this weekend, some at this very moment, that are celebrating a Jewish carpenter who didn't live very long on this earth, never traveled more than 30 miles from his home, never wrote a book, never gave a speech that made it to the internet, and yet one-third of the world's population calls him Lord and honors him today. Wow. And you know why? One reason is because Jesus is more than a movement. In fact, that's, that's the, the title of my sermon today. Jesus is more than a movement. Wow. Consider this. For over 300 years after Jesus died and was rose, there was no New Testament. You know, they didn't get in Bible studies in in 100 AD and say, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. No. For 300 years, there wasn't any New Testament for them to go reference. How in the world did the church survive? How did it survive the apostles and leaders being martyred and killed? How did it survive Judaism, who was out, who was basically saw Christianity as some kind of cult, right? In fact, religious and political leaders of the time were so against this thing that was called the way that they sought to kill its leader to put an end to it. But check this out. Roman Empire is long gone now. Been gone for a long, long time. And there's way more Christians on the earth today than there is even the people of Jew- Judaism at the time, Jews, way more Way more Christians. Christianity is more than a movement. You see, movements start usually to solve a problem. You know, it could be war, injustice, oppression, violence, something that needs to be addressed or dealt with. That's the reason movements typically start, okay? Then usually what happens is a charismatic leader emerges, and they introduce some kind of change or some kind of uh, cause that they're going to fix. And people relate to the leader, and the cause. So the movement begins to gain traction. 
And eventually there's enough buy-in among the people that change actually starts happening, right? And the leader typically becomes kind of the hero of the movement or the hero of the cause. But here's the deal. Eventually that leader dies, right? Eventually that leader dies. But because the change that they were leading is kind of now taking some root in society, the movement kind of can continue on. Movements are nothing new. We've seen movements in our own life. We've seen movements in this country. Uh, let's just talk about the women's suffrage movement, civil rights movement. The American Revolution was somewhat of a movement. All these things have been movements. And here's the point about movements. There's a pattern to them. And the pattern, as I've just described, and even there's been many religions that have evolved in that same way. And you see this pattern time and time again in history. But here's the deal. When you try and transpose that pattern onto Christianity, it doesn't work. That's why Jesus was more than a movement. It, it doesn't work. You see, while he was alive, Jesus' followers were hiding oftentimes. They weren't in the streets with a bullhorn proclaiming, this is the gospel, this is the gospel. No, that's not what they were doing. And when he died, they actually scattered. They actually ran, Okay. There were no Christians at the cross. I hate to tell you this, but there really were no Christians at the cross. Jesus' followers were persecuted, hunted down, and even martyred. But against all those odds, Christianity is still here today, almost 2,000 years later. Come on, that's something to celebrate. And why is it still here? Why? This one simple thing. Because Jesus didn't come to start a movement. I'm going to say that again. Jesus did not come to start a movement. You see, Jesus never advocated any kind of liberation, revolution. In fact, the Pharisees uh, on numerous occasions tried to kind of trap him into this. One of the questions they asked uh, was, well, are we supposed to pay taxes to, to Caesar, this oppressive Roman government? And Jesus said this in Matthew 22, 21, give to Caesar what Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And in the book of Luke, chapter 17, it records a story of Jesus interacting with a Pharisee. And the Pharisee asked when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus simply replied, the kingdom, the, excuse me, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Jesus was clear that his mission was not a movement. Even when Pilate tried Jesus before he was crucified, Pilate came out and told the people, seriously, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. I, I don't see where he's, you know, a revolutionary. I don't see where he's, I, you know, giving us some new idea that's going to threaten the foundation of the order of things. And in terms of Judaism, every time that they tried to trap Jesus, he said, look, I'm not trying to overturn Jewish law. I'm actually come to, coming to fulfill it because the law came from God. Okay, so Jesus wasn't trying to overturn. He wasn't a revolutionary in that sense. Okay, there was no talk of insurrection. There was no talk of liberation. He wasn't a revolutionary trying to introduce something new. He was actually coming to fulfill something promised. That's what Jesus was about. You see, the difference with Jesus is that his message was not about a movement. It was about him. It was about him. It wasn't about... A movement. It was about him. This is what sets him apart from everybody else. Ever. You see, he never asked his followers to trust in his ideas. What he asked them to do was put their trust in him. 
He didn't say, just follow my ideas and all these cool things. No, put your trust in me. That's what Jesus said. And that's what makes the rise of Christianity so unbelievable. And yet, it happens. Except for the very thing that we celebrate today. When Jesus rose from the dead, that is what changed everything. In him. Okay? You know, when Jesus first appeared on the public scene, John the Baptist was uh, baptizing people in, in the Jordan. And suddenly he stopped and looked up and he pointed Jesus out and he said to the crowd, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how John introduced Jesus. You see, Jesus' message was not about ideas. His message was about himself. Jesus' message was about Jesus. He placed himself at the center of what he came to talk about. Now, one day, Jesus had, had a friend named Lazarus, a very close friend, who was sick and about to die. And a messenger came to Jesus and, and told him that his friend Lazarus was very ill and was about to die. And what Jesus did next is, is really kind of crazy to us. Knowing full well that his good friend was on his deathbed, Jesus said, no, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. We're going to wait until after Lazarus actually dies, and then we'll go. Think about how that made Jesus look. I wonder, as John was writing his, his message about this incident, I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder what John was like. I don't know if we should put that story in here. I mean, the, the miracle was good, but, man, it doesn't really put Jesus in a very good light. I mean, here he is. He's going to let his friend die. Uh, he's going to make his other friends, Mary and Martha, uh, who's the, the, the sisters, have their hearts completely broken. He was going to wait until they were completely disappointed in him. And then their brother dies. And then Jesus is going to say, let's go. My friends, the truth is always greater than fiction. Truth is always greater than fiction. So Jesus finally shows up. And Mary and Martha come to him. And they say something to him that I wonder if we've ever said to God. Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Anybody ever say that to God? If you had just done this, God, this wouldn't have happened. If you had just showed up at this time, then this wouldn't have happened. In other words, they were telling, trying to tell Jesus, you're too late. You didn't answer our prayer. You're kind of making it hard for us to believe you right now. And then Jesus looked at each of these women, and this is what he said. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not here to explain life after death from you. I'm not here to explain what resurrection is. I'm telling you, I am the resurrection and the life. That was Jesus' answer to Mary and Martha. Jesus didn't say, the one who believes in my ideas, my parables, my principles of life. No. Jesus said, he who believes in me will live. That's what Jesus said. Jesus' message was not a movement. He was the message. And that's what sets him apart from everybody else. Jesus, one time with a, one of his disciples, was having a conversation about God. And the disciple said, all right, Jesus, just, just show us God. Just, just come on. You keep talking about him. Just show us. Show us God. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 9. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
You want, you want to know God? You're looking at him. That's basically what Jesus said. You want to know the Father? This is it. Father and I are one, Jesus would say many times. This is significant because, uh, you know, Jesus himself or any, none of his followers ever said that you should follow the insights, parables, and principles and just pass that on to the next generation. Jesus, all they ever heard Jesus say was he was the Lamb of God. He was the resurrection and the life. He was the Son of God. You heard him talk about who he was and who he is. Jesus' message was all about him and not a movement. So unlike any other great leader whose followers carried movements on, when Jesus died, his followers scattered. (laughs) Even before Jesus was crucified, many of his closest followers abandoned him. They weren't trying to keep up the fight, keep the movement going, as we've seen with other earthly causes, right, and movements. And here's why that's important. They admitted it. (laughs) When the writers of the gospel went to put this all down, they admitted their cowardice. You know, you would think if you were going to write a story and you were making stuff up, you'd probably make yourself to be the hero. You wouldn't paint yourself as a coward, would you? Unless you were telling the truth. Unless you were telling the truth. And that's exactly what was going on. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. (laughs) Really is, is, is what they were saying. The very people who brought us everything we know about Jesus admitted that they ran away when things got tough. And that's why their accounts are so believable. That's why they're so believable. And check this out. When Jesus died... I'm going to say it again. There were no Christians at the cross. They they were all running for their lives. They were all running because in their mind, Messiahs don't die. You know, Jesus had said, I'm the Messiah. He told them that. But in their mind, wait, if he's Messiah, there's no way he'd, he'd be dying. Let me ask you this. When this man who was the message died, how is it that we are here today talking about him? How is it that when he died, his church survived, thrived, and grew? Easter is the answer to that question. (laughs) Easter is the answer to that question. Come on. You see, every, every one of the gospel accounts tells us what happened on Easter morning, and they didn't embellish it. They just told it like it was. This is what Luke 24, 1 through 3 says. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And if you were to go read in John chapter 20, Mark chapter 16, and Matthew chapter 28, you would see this same commonality tell about how women found the empty tomb first. You see, this is important to the credibility of the stories because women at that time did not have a lot of credibility, okay? They, they were not even allowed to testify in court back then because their testimony was considered unreliable, okay? So put, put that in your mind for a minute. Believe me, if there was any way that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John could have left women out of this story, they would have. They would have, trust me. You see, resurrection, uh, the resurrection story without women is something they would have done. But do you know why the writers tell us that women were the first people 
to discover an empty tomb? Because women were the first people to discover an empty tomb. It's the truth. That's why it's there. That's why it's there. That's the only reason they would have written it the way they wrote it. It's important we understand that. That's what makes it so believable and credible. Now, if that's not enough, none of Jesus' followers, followers even considered it a resurrection in the beginning. In fact, Mary Magdalene, um, when she first got there, ran back and told the rest. They, she didn't go back and say, oh, Jesus is risen. No, she said, they've stolen his body. That was her first assumption, right? That was her first assumption. And this is someone that was with Jesus, that loved Jesus, that was walking and living life with him. And by the way, he had heard Jesus a number of times say, I'm going to rise from the dead. He told them all this, but their first reaction was not a resurrection story. It was a someone stole my master story, right? And then when Mary went back and told the rest of the men, they didn't believe it either. Luke 24, 11 says, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Wow. I'm not, I'm not going to go into any modern day, you know. No, let's just not even think about that. This tells us very clearly, though, that Luke and the rest of the guys thought these women were nuts. I mean, that, that's basically what they were saying. Y'all are crazy. You don't even know what you're talking about. Which is interesting because, as I mentioned, Jesus had predicted a number of times to his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise from the dead. He had told them, but they didn't have it here yet. In, chapter, in uh, John chapter 20, we see that the guys then wanted to check it out for themselves. So Peter and John go running to the tomb, okay? Peter and John go running to the tomb. In fact, in, in one of the Bible accounts, Jesus tells Mary, go tell Peter. She, in only one of the accounts, he specifically says, go tell Peter. There's, that's a whole different sermon. But, but Peter, if anybody of you, you know anything about Peter... Ooh, he was, he was enthusiastic. Let's just, let, let, let's just put it that way. Peter, man, I'll tell you what, you're going to charge hell with a water pistol. That, that was Peter, right? And yet, you know, Jesus, when stuff started going on, Peter denied Jesus three times, okay? So let's just, let's just understand that. But Peter and John go running to the tomb. And John is careful to tell us in his account that he beats Peter there, Okay? John said, ah, I got there first. Of course, John talks about himself in the third person, which is totally, that's John, okay? But John gets there first, but John says he didn't go in. After all, this is a tomb now, okay? John gets to the tomb, but he doesn't really go in. Not our friend Peter. Peter just busts right in there, right? That's, that's Peter, okay? I'm just going right in. And they, they finally get into the tomb, and Peter goes in. And then John follows him in, right? And what John sees, he describes as literally just unbelievable. He sees these grave clothes that were left behind. That's the description that John gives. You remember when Lazarus came back from the dead in that story, he still had his grave clothes on. And people actually had to take them off him. Not Jesus. His were gone. His were gone. That's something to clap about. That's, that's something good. His, his grave clothes were gone. They were left there. They were left in the tomb. And John writes in chapter 20, verse 8, that that is when he believed. 
When John saw the empty tomb and the grave clothes, he tells us that is when I believe. This is John who had been walking with Jesus for three years, who had literally sat at his feet and learned and listened to the stories and the parables and all those things. And yet, he really only believed, and I would say really believed, when he saw those grave clothes in an empty tomb. Wow. Wow. And the reason why is because he saw for himself the empty tomb. That's why John finally believed. And that is why we celebrate what's going on today. That's why we celebrate Easter. That is what kept and keeps the story of Jesus alive and going, was that event. You see, these cowardly men ran when Jesus was arrested They denied even knowing him and thought it was all over when he was crucified. And yet when they saw for themselves that he rose from the dead, that's when they went public. Not before. That's when they went public. They knew that the only way to explain what had happened at that tomb was to believe exactly what Jesus had said was going to happen. And knowing that, then they had the courage to boldly proclaim that this man rose from the dead. Not a movement. This, this God-man had risen. That's what they were talking about now. That's what they were focused on. And their message was honest, and it was simple. And it was simply this, and this message hasn't changed. The message they shared in the early church, in the book of Acts, is the same message today. Jesus is the Savior. He died, and he is alive again. That's it. That's, that's the message of the gospel. And that was their message. That was their message to the world. Yes, he was our savior, is our savior. He did die, and now he is, he's walking around right now. We've seen him for ourselves. That's the message that they were sharing. Friends, I, I know that there's some real hurt and real pain in this room. No matter how bad your church experience has been, no matter how sketchy that last Christian you did business with was, no matter how many hypocritical people you've seen or you think you've seen, no matter how many unanswered prayers you think you may have had, no matter how disappointed you may have been with God in the past, I would ask you on this Easter Sunday, give Jesus another look. Not because of what he taught, Not because of what he taught, but because of who he is. Because of Jesus, because of who he is. You see, his message has never changed. He said he was going to die and then rise again to pay the price for our sin. All we have to do is believe. And it's really not hard to believe when you understand that it wasn't just this close group of friends that saw Jesus resurrected. There have been reports that as many as 500 people saw the resurrected Savior. This is not just somebody making stuff up for the fun of it. It happened. It's reality. Come on. Come on. It happened. And those same disciples who got re-engaged when they saw the risen Savior would go on to die horrible deaths, become martyrs, not so much for what they believed, 
but for what they saw. That's what they died for, for what they saw. Because they couldn't deny it. They couldn't deny that a man who once was dead had now been raised to life and was walking around and talking to them, comforting them, telling them about their next steps. How can anyone not believe when you consider that there is no explanation for how the message of Jesus has survived all this time? The persecution, and yet here we are 2,000 years later and at least a third of the world continues to call him Lord. Friend, Jesus is who he said he is. He is the risen Savior. He is the Son of God. His death and his resurrection paid for our sins because there was no other way to do it. Romans 3.23 tells us that we're all sinners. In other places in Romans, it says that the price of our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, the risen Lord. Jesus took upon himself our sins so that we wouldn't have to pray, pay that price because we never could. And he did it to restore us to a right relationship with God. That's why he did it. All the love, all the mercy, all the goodness, all the provision of God can be ours. All we have to do is believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the solution to our sin, to our past, and to our pain. It's why we celebrate Easter. Can I ask everyone just to bow your heads while I pray with us and for us? You know, there's some of you here today that walked in believing in Jesus. I just want to speak confirmation to you. What you're believing is true. What you believed is still true. I want to confirm that belief in your hearts today. Now, there's some of you here that maybe you did believe in Jesus at one time, but but some things have happened in your life. Whatever they may be, hurt, pain, disillusionment. For those, if that's you, I'm calling you to believe again. Believe again. The story is still true. It hasn't changed. I'm calling you to believe again. Believe that he is your savior. Believe that he died for you and rose again. And then there's some people today that, man, I just showed up because someone drugged me here. I just felt like it was time to go. I don't really know much about Jesus, but maybe something has changed in these last few moments together. And maybe you've had a hard time believing in this Jesus guy in the past, or maybe you never gave him much thought. And maybe none of this made sense before, but now all of a sudden you get it. You believe Jesus is who he said he is. If that's you, I'm inviting you to believe for the first time. Today's a perfect day to publicly accept what Jesus did on the cross and what happened 
when he rose from the dead. It's the perfect day for you to ask God and for you to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. In fact, if that's you, on the count of three, just so I know who we're praying for today, would you just slip your hand up on the count of three so that we can pray with you and for you? One, Jesus loves you. Two, he died for you. Three, he rose again for you. Will you just raise your hand just quickly and slip him right back down? Wow, beautiful, beautiful. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, then I'd like to invite you to pray this prayer with me. In fact, if we could all just pray this together in support of someone who is coming to believe in Jesus for the first time, or maybe someone that's coming back to believe in him, would you all just pray this with me? Dear God, thank you for your love and mercy. I know that I've made some mistakes. And I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. And I believe that he rose from the dead. Today, I give you my heart. Be the Lord of my life. God, make me strong in spirit and ready to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If God is transforming your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give at PursuitChurchSA.com give. Thank you for listening and remember to follow us to enjoy more messages like this.